Hello and welcome to Odds and Evenings, a podcast about mathematics, puzzles, numbers and games. My name is Alex, I am one of the two hosts that we have on the show, and the other host, his name is... what, what he's about to say. <laughs> My name's Alaric. Hello, Alex. Hello. I thought I'd do something which we haven't done before, which is to give a tiny little intro into the show right after introing the show. So, if you have not listened to the show before, here's what the deal is. We normally talk about three different things. First is something that Alaric brings, then I bring something, and then... who knows... Normally something Alaric does, but it you know it can be a user-suggested thing as well. Yeah. Uh, and the, all these things are maths. Things we've been thinking about, maths problems, interesting things from maths, uh, puzzles, numbers and games. And that's the show, Odds and Evenings. Is that a good explanation? Yeah. Um, the emphasis isn't so much in teaching. It's us playing with maths. So we're going to get things wrong. We're going to get stuck on things. And that's we're going to get a lot of things wrong. But <laughs> that's fine, because we sort of co-discover with the audience. Because uh, there's a bit of a dialogue. And, and we'll do contact details at the end of the show. And uh, you'll have to wait to find out how to get in touch with us. Uh, how are you, Alaric? I'm okay. Um, the GCHQ puzzle book has come out, the second one. And uh, I've... I don't know. I spent a couple of weeks doing a lot of puzzles. What is, so what's the deal with this puzzle book? The main part of it are just standalone puzzles with answers in them. But there's always one main puzzle section... In the first book, they set it up as a competition. I don't think there's a prize this time. But there's a whole series of puzzles, the answer to which leads you to the next puzzle. Right. And they're all sorts of different things. Some are ciphers, some are picture-based. I've been putting on my website, alexdemon.com, my work towards some of the answers on these. So spoilers ahead if you go there. But Reddit is uh, trying to work its way through it as well, on r slash puzzles. Oh, are they not done with it yet? No. Oh, um, th- the first one, we, w- we were going for months goodness yeah is this a hiring thing i don't think so some of their puzzles in the past have uh, led you to their recruitment page and often on their websites if you start going into like the inspect element and trying to dig behind the scenes they have a whole lot of easter eggs there saying if you're reading this maybe you should consider coming and working for us right but no it's they're they're just nice interesting puzzles and i i have a lot of fun with that sort of thing hmm and how big is the book oh it's a it's a brick of a book Oh, really? 500 pages or so. And is it annual? The the last one came out in 2016. But it follows, they used to do a series of Christmas puzzles um, every year. And then it's culminated in this book, and now the second one. I, I get very excited. Uh, I know you were. Things. I mean, you, you sent like <laughs> selfies with it and all sorts. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a bit of momentous, it was. Would you like Would to talk about some mathematics? Yes, please. Okay. So... I came across something where it had a pattern which broke down, and those are always quite interesting in maths, where mm. it looks like it's going to be one thing and then it goes to another thing. Yeah. So, thinking about factorials, and thinking specifically about the number of zeros on the end of them. Yes. Now, from doing physics stuff, yep. where we get really big numbers, and sometimes that's that involves factorials because it's something to do with, I don't know, atomic stuff. Okay. There is a formula you can use to give an approximation of the order of magnitude, right? Uh, yeah. It's not so much the order of magnitude we want here. It's how many digits which are exactly zero are there on the end. Ah, so- okay. So if, let's say, it's 64,000, it's three zeros. You're not interested in yep. 10 to the 4, 10 to the 5, or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's like we want the um to think about the factors of these numbers rather than the size of them. Hmm. 
But um, off the top of my head, Sterling's approximation? Is that the right Yes. Thing? Yeah, that's it. It's okay. some integral, and then it yep. gives you, yeah. So, if we try building up a little table here, what we're going to be doing is powers of 10 factorials. So, 10 to the 1 factorial, 10 to the 2 factorial. So, 10 factorial, 100 factorial, 1000 factorial, and so on. Oh, wow. And what I want to think about is how many zeros they've got on the end of them. Okay. Do you have these numbers to hand somewhere? I do, but to get into the thinking of it, I think it's worth doing a few of these by hand. Okay. So, 10 factorial, how many zeros does it have on the end? Okay, there is definitely a way to work this out, because it's the number of 2s and 5s in the factors. That's true. So, it's got 2, and it's got 5, and it's got another 2 and a 5, right? Yep. So there's 2, and there's 5, and there's 10, and 10 contains 2 and 5. So that means that there are two zeros at the end. Yes, that's true. Okay, so that's going to be the first uh, number in our table. Yeah. 10 to the 1 had 2. For, uh, two. And notice here, we've got so many factors of 2 around that yep. they're almost irrelevant. It's the factors of 5 that we care about. Yes. Because as soon as you've got, say, I don't know, 4s and 8s and things, you've got loads of powers of 2. I was just about to suggest this. You're looking for pairs of 2s and 5s, but you get you get a two every two, and you get a five every five. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's ten to the one factorial. Ten to the two factorial? So a hundred factorial. How many um, zeros? That's not quite the right answer, but how, talk me through how you got the twenty. Because and then we get to add to it. I just pictured a hundred in my head, and I pictured how many... There's two every ten, so there must be ten yep. fives. So factors of five come along every five numbers every five yeah. um think about the number 25 in there oh yeah okay yes that has two of them yes every five fives you get another five yep and every five 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 you get three you get another one which that one won't, won't actually happen because that's, that's not going to be because the first one is one two five yeah yeah oh yes so interesting if we think of just the ones which are just the base factor fives, they come along every five. And we get an extra factor of five every 25. Yes. So in total, you've got 20 from just doing 100 divided by five. Yeah. And, and then you've got an extra four because you do 100 divided by 25. So 25, yes. 50, yes. 75, an and 100. Four. Yeah, good to think about them in terms of extra blanks. Yeah. Yeah, it means you don't have to do the kind of like non-inclusive definition. Yeah, like is this one taken by the five already? Or is this one taken by the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. So, in total, we've got 24. 20 basic ones plus an extra four. Right. Yeah. Cool. Um, to speed up this process slightly, if I just talk you through the next one, a thousand mm-hmm. factorial. Yeah. Well, doing the base factor fives there, we get 200 of them, because it's a thousand divided by five. Yeah. Uh, then, dividing by 25, we get 40 of them. Uh, 125s go in eight times. And 625 also fits in once. Oh, so it does. So in total, we've got 249? 249. Yeah. 249. Yeah. Right, okay. And it's like we had the 24 from before, from the 100 one. We times that by 10, and then we added on the extra ones from 125 and, 200, uh, and 625. It's like we had the 24 from before. Yep. Multiplied it by 10, and then yep. added on the extra ones from... Yeah, okay. But the reason we times by 10, multiply by 10, is before we were doing, say, 100 divided by 25. Now we're doing 1,000 divided by 25. So it's just a factor of 10 out. It's a factor of 10 more of them. I was reading about this in the Mathematical Gazette, some old copy, I don't know, 
2004. Yeah. And it made this little table. 10 to the 1 Factoria has two zeros at the end. Yeah. Then it goes 24 zeros, 249 zeros, 2499, 24999. Mm. Which feels, you know, nice and patterny. Mm. But then, 249998. What? Hmm. Yeah. So... There is an issue in expecting aesthetics from patterns. You know, a lot of these ones where it's like, why doesn't that do that? Yeah. It's because there's some level of aesthetics. But if you think about it, 25 and like 125 is a bit like even just 125 as a as a number and like 625. They don't play nicely with thousands and yeah. ten thousands. So the 625 going into a thousand is the first what one yeah. where it didn't go exactly there was some remainders going on but if you think about it trying to fit into 2000 yeah like you'd get three of them right and so there is a messiness yeah and so i'm not surprised that it's weird but it is annoying that it's <laughs> that it is like that it's interesting that it seems to be tenting to a quarter it's like they get closer and closer to being 25 because it's going two four nine 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 nine, possibly with an eight at the end. Compare that to the number that we were put doing the factorial of. It's a quarter of that number, or near enough. How many zeros on the end of thousand factorial is approximately equal to a quarter of a thousand? Yeah. How many zeros on the end of y factorial, where y is some power of ten, is yeah. approximately equal to y over four? Yeah. Interesting. I wonder how that pattern holds for other factorials. Like, why are we interested in factors of 10 here? Imagine if we were writing these things in different um, bases, because then it would be how many zeros we have. How many zeros we have is, like, how many of that factor do we have? Yeah, how many how many factors do we have of the base? If we were writing it out in, say, base 7, how many zeros at the end would say, okay, how many um, factors of 7 do we have in these things? I've just been thinking about base 2. Base 2 is interesting because... You get your... Should we try it? Yeah. Should we do powers of 10, but imagine we're looking for how many factors of 2 we've got. So, 10 to the 1, which is just 10. Uh, 10 factorial. So, instead of actually trying to write these things out in binary, let's yeah. just think how many factors of 2 do we have. Oh, cool, cool, because you can just do that, yeah. So, how many factors of 2? Five of them go in. How many factors of 4? Two of them go in. How many factors of 8? One of them goes in. So I've got eight. So I'm I'm thinking about it in terms of um, the pattern of contributions. Yep. Goes one, two, one, four, one. Okay. And that gets larger. It kind of looks a bit like... I know I've seen that somewhere. It kind of looks a bit like taking samples of a sinusoid a little bit. Like yeah. One, two, one, four, one, two, one, three... What, like it, it's sort of there's this thing that gets added together and it kind of looks a yeah no that's interesting hmm. but I forget what that looks like carry on so <laughs> so the, <laughs> the, the, the the pattern in in base two is so eight there eight for the first one while you were talking I've got ninety seven for the next one this is rubbish well I have a theory okay I think if we think of the ratio of the number we're doing factorial to yep. to how many of this factor that we're looking for this one. It's like the ratio is getting closer and closer to 1, which is a bit like 1 over 
n minus 1. Because in the last one, we got a ratio of a quarter, which was 1 over 5 minus 1. Oh, interesting. And I've, I think this one is like 1 over 2 minus 1. You want to try it? Do base 3? Base 3, I I'm, I'm think it will get to a half. Yes, should be close to a half. Yep. Okay. Oh, this is this is feeling successful, Alex. <laughs> um, uh, so there's four for ten. Okay. Uh, yes, okay. Three from the threes, one from the nine. Yeah. Okay, a hundred. Now, interestingly, this is one where, like in the last one, we did facts of ten, and then we did facts of two. In this one, ten doesn't divide by three. Yeah. So it might go a little different, but let's carry on. So threes go in 33 times. Nines, yep. 99, so 11, 11. times. And then 27s, three times. Do you just divide the previous number by three and then truncate it? Do you went 33, 11, three. Let me look at my thing for twos. Yeah, it would be a truncation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit like um, Russian peasant algorithm for multiplying numbers. One that I've worked through in the past but don't recall appropriately. The idea is you have two numbers that you want to multiply together. You write them side by side and then on one of them you keep halving, ignoring any remainders until you get down to one, which is kind of what we did with the twos. In the other column you keep doubling. You then cross out any rows where the one where you've been halving it is even. Okay. You cross out the whole row and you add up the remaining ones from the ones that you doubled. It's easier to show than to say. Yeah. Um, but the idea is it's an algorithm where you don't have to learn any times tables. Just need to know how to halve. Halve and double, yeah. And so traditionally, if you weren't, say, landed gentry and going to school, which is, you need that to be able to do times tables, if you're just trying to um, manually multiply things... You don't need any formal education to carry out this method. And there's ways you can lay it out with just like moving bits that you have on your table. Yeah. Um, you need to have land to know how to multiply. It's a, it's a curse, but <laughs> that's just the way um, it is. So, 33 plus 11 plus 3, 47. And we were hoping for a, a bit less than 50. So that's looking good. Oh, that is looking good. Yeah. Do you feel like doing the next one? No. I, I, I think I'm happy with this. You're, okay. It's a proud odds and evenings tradition of scant evidence <laughs> being approximately equal to truth. Scant evidence on a thing which I came across as interesting because it started breaking down in the example that I saw. Yeah. <laughs> but they're all breaking down in a kind of similar way, right? Yeah. They're all just under the amount. Yeah. And so why are they just under the amount? Is it because... You never quite... Is it this truncation? You never quite get yeah. that extra one. With this pattern that we've got here, mm-hmm. we've tried it for some nice prime ones, twos and threes. The rule with ten was we were actually looking at the rule for five, because that's yeah. all we cared about. Yeah. So it's... If you're looking at a compound number, it looks like you take whichever is the biggest prime. Yeah, the largest prime factor of it. So I, I suppose I'm, I'm going to restate my theory that it's... If you are looking for primes, it would be like 1 over P minus 1. Where P is the highest, yeah. And, and the compound ones, you just bodge it into looking for whichever prime matters. And so what happens? What do you get when you don't truncate the number? So I know that what you've been doing is is you divide... Let's say you've got the 100 case, right? Yep. And there are 20 
Can we, actually, let's do the thousand case instead because that, that might be a bit more illustrative. So, you got a thousand case. There were forty. You divide that by five. Were that were there eight of the next one? Yep. And then you divide that by five again, and you get yep. one. Yep. What happens if you don't do if the truncation? Eight over five. Yeah. yeah. So it would be um, zero point six bigger. Uh, it's so it doesn't create anything exact. Ah, but what happens if you just keep going forever? Like, oh, I what, see what you what mean. What if you make that a geometric sum yep. to infinity? So geometric series, first term, 200, common ratio, a fifth. Sum to infinity is going to be 200 over 1 minus a fifth, which is 200 over 4 fifths. It's 1,000 over 4. Yep. Ah, and that's where this, like, 1 over n minus 1 thing is coming from. Yeah. It's the 1 over... Um, it's, it's 1 the, over p, over. so you start your first, like, you divide your original, your 1,000, yep. by p to get, yep. the, get the first one. Yep. And then the next time, it's that number. Yeah. Ah, oh, good. Ta-da! <laughs> the reason it's the way it is, is because of the, 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 the truncation in that formula. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I really do be like that sometimes, Alec. It really do be like that sometimes. It's like we were doing the floor function of each of these divisions. Yeah. So floor of n over first power of factor plus floor of n over next power of factor. Maybe we should just restate our results to be super clear on what we on what we just found. I think you go for it. The number of zeros at the end of powers of 10 factorial yep. is approximately equal to just below that power of 10 divided by 4. n minus 1. And the reason that it's just below... Is because if you can, it's because there's no such thing as a fractional power of ten, or there's no such thing as like a fractional zero, and you have to discard all these like fractional zeros. But if there were all these fractional zeros added up, it would be exactly a quarter. It's just not, and this works in any base except it's not a quarter. It's the highest prime of that base minus one being the divisor. And the higher you go, the closer it's going to tend to that fraction. Because the bodging, the little truncation, matters less overall. So it's going to tend towards, say, a quarter in the original right. example. Is this also true for higher bases? I think so. The higher bases will, will break down into their highest prime. So there'll be a, a bit of, sort of, be a little pockmarked. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was that everything you wanted out of this and more? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. No, that's okay. fantastic. Okay. <laughs> Good. <laughs> then we can move on, I think. This is something I've been thinking about for quite a long time. Um, and I don't remember when I first started thinking about it. So it was one of these ones that's from my like teenagerhood when I first started getting interested, like properly interested in maths. Before it was something I could just do and do yep. well at. And then eventually I started taking an interest. And I think it comes from me looking at my own arms, actually. Oh, Alex, like the first of these that you brought onto the show where it was one from your childhood was you pointing at your fingers yeah it's like your inspiration is right in front of you for all yeah it's part of me right (laughs) and so what i used to think about is creating 3d shapes out of collections of hinged arcs 
or like sticks that are stuck together with like an end. But like, imagine if you will, let's say there's, I just realized there's actually two of these. I was only going to talk about one of them, but I realized there's another one now that I realize it's my body. So there's something I do with my legs where I will bend one knee at a 60 degree angle and then I'll put my other foot on that knee. Um, yep. So that, like, and and that foot is also going to be bent at a six degree angle because, you know, these they're both like joined at my hip approximately, and so that's kind of like the beginnings of a tetrahedron. And then if you can imagine that I had another sort of V shape like that to add on to it, then I could complete the tetrahedron. Okay, so the top triangle is formed from one of your thighs, the other thigh, and then the bottom of one of your legs. So your foot is joined to your knee on the other leg. And so all you'd need would be another leg, and you could join the knee of that leg down to this dangling foot. I see. And then put the foot on the knee, and then you've built a tetrahedron. So is what you're going for here, with three pairs of two connected lines, Yeah. we can make a tetrahedron? Yes, and they are the exact same shape, right? They're these 60-degree angle Vs. Okay. Now, yep. here's the problem I was actually going to talk about. And this is one that I've tried to do, but that I think is impossible. And I don't know why. Um, well, I do, actually. I've, I've got a good suggestion for why. But I, I would like to sort of turn it into the general case. So I'm glad that we've got a nice simple one there with legs and, and tetrahedrons. Now, if we think about a cube, okay. um, take your arms. Yep. Uh, now, you've got a hinge at your elbow. Yep. Assuming you've got two arms and, uh, you know, you've got... a intact arms and everything um you can kind of create four sticks okay uh, arms and legs no just just both your arms together make four sticks in the same way that one a singular leg was two sticks before yep both arms together make four sticks okay and so what i tried to do was i tried to create four continuous sticks maybe contiguous is the is the better word yep that when rotated and not mirror flipped or anything, but when rotated, can be added together to make a cube. Why would it matter if you reflected them? Oh, it's just a you know, it's a it's a parameter of the puzzle. So maybe we can talk about reflecting them later. So these are collections of two sticks which have a ninety degree angle in. Yes, but I wouldn't say two. It's four singular sticks that have a ninety degree angle between them. You got your forearm is connected yep. to your upper arm. Your upper arm is connected to your other upper arm. Oh, okay. Is is your body irrelevant? Here? Consider your body to be a node. Yeah, it's irrelevant. Yeah. Okay, I see what you're going for here. We want to have in total two length four things, and where the length four thing has a whole lot of like ninety degrees along the way. I want some length four things, and after each length, you have to turn by ninety degrees. Yeah, and they need to add together to make a cube. Cool. Um, and the reason that I say some is because it has to be three, right? Because oh, these, these are going yeah. to form the edges. Yep. And I've never been able to do this, and I think I know why, but I would like to... I, I've, I've got an idea as to why it's impossible, but I want to hear potentially your thoughts as to why it cannot be done. Because like you can also... I've been also thinking of generalizing this, right? Because you can just sort of bend both arms, or you could sort of turn one down but also I was imagining like I started thinking about the general mathematical problem and, and you know maybe you could just have like three things all coming from the same joint 
maybe, yeah. and then yeah, and then one with an extra one on the end or something like that. We talked about coloring problems in the past uh, oh, when yeah. we when we were talking about parities of things. Yeah. Often to disprove this sort of thing, we want to be able to do some sort of coloring here, which shows that I don't know. We always alternate between this color and this color, and I don't know. It will jump out to me if I can get a coloring argument. I think you're in the right ballpark. Yep. Um, I have no. I have never tried coloring. I I have an answer that's sort of of a similar ilk. Um, if people want to know what we mean by coloring problems, we did a whole lot of examples of them in one of the episodes. I think it was the one where we introduced Snakey, and Snakey was in the title. So you think this is impossible? I think this is impossible. Yeah. I've been trying for a while, and I cannot find four sticks that join together that through rotation alone, just imagine you have it in your hand, like three identical sets of four in your hand that you can rotate and you can build a cube out of them. Yep. Assuming that the um, the width of said cube is equal to the length of the stick, because I think it might be possible if you have half-length ones. Well, actually, it definitely is possible for three of length three, because you can just join them all at a corner. And then you yep. have you just have eight of those on each corner, and it all adds up. Okay, I've got an answer. Okay. Right. So, you, you've got three lines in total, all length four. Yes. Each of those has two ends to it. Yes. So, in total, we've got six ends to play with. Each node, so each vertex of the cube, of which there are eight, has is order three. There are three lines going into it. Mm-hmm. Because that's odd, you're going to need to either start there or end there with one of the ends of one of your lines. Ah. And you've only got six ends to play with, but there are eight vertices. Vertices. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, do you want to know what my answer was? Yep. Uh, there are three of these, and they yep. need to be ro- rotated but a cube has no odd order symmetries and especially no factor three order symmetries. Okay. And so there's like no neat rotation of this you could do because maybe you could do it three times, but you would still be requiring some fourth one. Whereas with the ones where they're only half length and you have to do three of them, well, you require eight. Yeah. And a cube has sufficient symmetry to be able to do that. It's all even symmetry. Yeah. So yeah, I had a, I had a sort of hand wavy argument from symmetry but you've, you've nailed something pretty nicely with the with the coloured version so leads me on to the general yeah. question which well, is I just brought up a page of um, platonic solids so I could look at them as I do some thinking <laughs> <laughs> uh, for a particular I guess it's platonic solids but I suppose it can be broader than that but maybe if we start with platonic solids like how do you know whether you can rotate a continuous set of lines contiguous set of lines. Maybe we start with continuous and move to contiguous. How can you um, define those? Yeah, so continuous being um, where the order of each node in the line is two. Right? One going in, one going out. Okay. Except the ends, which have order one. But contiguous would just be just any sort of tree that you can build. Oh, okay. So we've been doing continuous. We've been doing continuous, but also I don't think there's a tree version either okay for the for the cube yeah yeah because then you would have nine ends that's too many so you want these things to all be the same as each other 
Oh, that's one restriction. Now you can you can loosen the restrictions if you'd like, but the one that I've been working on in my head for the last ten years has been that they all have to be the same. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's less obvious to me to work through. Uh, it's because I'm imagining real space, right? I'm imagining just my arm, and then I'm just yeah. rotating my entire body to try and make a cube three times. So, of the other platonic solids, if we talk about some of the bigger ones, should we go octahedron? Yeah, but you got. But forgive me. I'm just one sec. I'm just gonna go get my Dungeons and Dragons dice so I can look at these in my hand. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Octahedron. I, th- I think octahedron is going to be the most interesting one to think about. The reason I say that is because its vertices are even in order. It's got four lines coming out of each vertex. Yeah. Whereas all the other ones have an odd number. Yeah. So just looking at it. It's possible with the legs. Like, it's possible with the Vs. Yeah. Because you can form it... I'm doing it so that the points are at the top and the bottom. Yep. By the way. And you can do four Vs going round in a little circle through yep. the entire top, and then you just need two Vs on the bottom to yep. finish off the bottom pyramid. So the question is, can we uh, split it into fours? So there are 12 edges in total. So can we split it into three fours? Hmm. You can do threes. You can do four triangles. I can see it, yep. Yeah. So the way I'm imagining it, imagine if you had an octahedron and you coloured in each face either black or white Yeah. so that adjacent ones were opposite colours. It's like you're doing a checkerboard but on yeah. an octahedron. Yeah. Then if you pick one of the colours, say black, there are four triangles there. Yep. Those four are the ones that you want. Uh, I potentially have an answer for you for fours. Okay. Which is that, again, it's 12 arcs required. And with fours, you need three of them. And an octahedron also has no symmetry like that. Oh, uh, I think I've got one. Oh, yeah. I think we can split here into four diamonds. Yes, I see that. You know when we talked about Borromean rings? Yes. And we were talking about it in the context of the Earth. So it's like you've got the ring going around the equator, the ring going from North Pole, to North Pole, South Pole, but like going through, say, Paris, and then the one offset from that. So the one going North Pole, South Pole, but going through, say, America. Yeah. It's the same thing here. You've got three axes, three yeah, planes, and yeah. each one is a, a diamond. Hmm. You neatly partition it into its a uh, three. Yeah. Interesting. So, I wonder if there are other ways. I suspect there are. Why? Because maybe you can do some zigzaggy thing. I mean, it seems there are so many lines here, so there's probably quite a few ways in. Yeah. Like, is there a six that can be done? Yeah. I've just dropped mine, so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, while we're here, one of our listeners sent us a problem about tetrahedrons. Okay. From tetrahedrons. We got a problem um, from a listener called Andre Malrou. I'm sorry if I'm getting the French name wrong there. Okay, I, I'm just going to read it out as he, he's put it. So, there are three spiders and an ant on the edges of a wireframe regular tetrahedron. The spiders all move at the same speed, which is faster than that of the ant. Uh, though the ant can always see the spiders, the ant is invisible. The spider can only detect the ant by being on top of it. So it's like the, the spiders can't see it. They're going to be um, going around blindly trying to find it. Yeah. When they get on top of it, they immediately 
can then sense it, and so will eat it. The question is, can the spiders come up with some sort of strategy here to corner the ant to catch it? And so the ant can see them and so can react to their strategies. It's not like when we were doing... um, There was one in a very early episode called the Princess Monster Game, where they were in the room, but they were both going around blindly. One, the monster trying to crash the princess, the princess trying to evade the monster, and it was, what's the best strategy for each of them? On this one, the person trying to escape is aware of where the attackers are. So, they're on a tetrahedron, and it's wireframed, so it's like you're only going along the edges of these things. Yeah. The immediate problem you run into with this is, say you get all of your spiders out up at the top of your tetrahedron, and then you send one of each of them down each of the three lines. But when they get to the base triangle, they're going to be at the three vertices, but you're not sure which of the remaining line segments the ant is on. And as soon yeah. as you try and close in on one of them, you leave the possibility that the ant can then run up to the top. The ant can then run to any of the others. Yeah. But if you do it randomly, which other spider you go to, you will catch it eventually, I think. Hmm. You go to one point, and let's say the ant is on one of the edges of the opposite triangle. Yep. Each of the spiders goes to each of the corners of that triangle, and then one spider stays still, and then the other two converge on that spider. Two out of three times, you're going to catch the ant when you do that. There's one out, of th- one in a three chance each time you do that, the ant is free. And then, then you're back where you started. Like, all three spiders on one point, and the ant is uh, sat on the side of the opposite triangle and then you can go out again converge on another spider at random or in some kind of sequence as to okay you stand still and then you do this like if the spiders yeah memorize what the shape of, and then i, I think you, i think you'll catch it with infinite iterations of that let's do worst case scenario here because your one does converge on an answer but worst case scenario is it takes infinite time yes it's like the uh the blind waiter problem the lazy season Right, is there that, a deterministic yes. way here? Is is there a way that we can do it in a finite number of moves? With that technique, because the ant can run around and pick which which one to be on, as long as the spiders operate with a pseudo-random number, yep. then the ant doesn't really stand a chance unless the ant knows what that pseudo-random number, pseudo number algorithm is, in which case the ant can always stay free. So actually, maybe that doesn't even work. Hmm. Depends on the amount of information that the ant has about the spider's movements. So I'm thinking about this situation. We, they've come down from the top, all three of them, and so they're then at the, the uh, corners of a triangle, and you know that the ant is in one of those three lines. You try and, uh, say, squeeze on one of the lines or two of the lines, but there's the possibility that you let the ant go up to the top and escape into one of the other bits, and you yeah. have to start the whole thing again. But there's this bit here that says the spider's are faster than the ant. Yeah, we're not using that information. No. So it's not like the ant, uh, as soon as they have an opening, can get anywhere in that new region. It's like if if we then go back, um, if we backtrack, we backtrack faster than the ant can run away. I think we have to use that. The spider being faster than the ant thing Yep. means that clearly the answer is some kind of iterative potentially infinite thing that becomes the spider catching the ant because the spider's faster because it doesn't say how much faster it could be like an infinitesimally small amount faster 
but it just has to be a very gradual catching of the ant in that period of time. Yeah. We don't actually know if it's possible. It might be that there is some way that the ant can always get away with it. Well, that's the question, right? Yeah. Can the spiders ever catch the ant? So my answer is yes, in infinite time. Um, But can the spiders catch the ant in finite time? Because my answer doesn't take into account the speed speeds of these things. It's just not essential. If we can get it trapped in a cycle where there's no other ways to go, then if we have one spider remaining, they can just go along that cycle, going round and round. Because it's faster than the ant, it will eventually capture it. Mm. We can have... It feels like we can remove lines... Remove edges from the tetrahedron by posting a spider on them. So, in total, we've got six edges. If I've removed two of them to make a cycle, like the two edges opposite each other, then we get something which is uh, a quadrilateral left. Why can you remove an edge by posting a spider on it? I'm imagining a spider patrolling up and down it. Ah, okay. What you don't want is that when the ant is going along there, going along the path, you don't want it that the ant can nip in, wait for the spider that's coming after it to go past, and then nip back out again. Yeah, I see what you're doing. So you have one spider going on each of the um, the opposite edges, going yep. up and down it, and then one going round and round and round the remaining quadrilateral. Yeah, and work. I like to time it so that as they get to the end... The ones which are patrolling um, up and down their line. Yep. I want them to get to the end of their line to meet the spider as it's doing its grand tour, which I think they can do. Yeah, if those spiders move at half the speed, because like they can go slower, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's assume if those spiders go at half the speed of the spider doing the rotation, or same speed, they just do two patrols for every. It doesn't work for both spiders if you look at the tetrahedron. If you okay. have one in your hand, um, it can't go same speed because they'll be back at the same point by the time the one doing the patrol is back on okay. the other side. Yeah, I see. Yeah, it doesn't actually—they don't have to be in constant movement. They just have to get to the other other end of their line. Oh, and wait. Yeah, and they they can do that because they're only good to go one line's worth, whereas the uh, the one doing the cycle goes two. I think this works actually. I'm just looking yeah. at it. I think that works. I don't know if I've come up with like a a worse answer, like whether there's something more obvious going on. Well, I mean, this does depend on the spiders being faster than the ant. Because if, if they were the same yeah. speed, then you could just have the ant running in front of the spider doing the loop. Yeah. On a continuous basis. I'm now thinking how many spiders would you need for a cube? Mm. I'm, I'm trying to think about similar things. How many lines do we have to take out to make a cycle? Yeah. For once I actually have the appropriate mathematical objects in the house. I think you have to take out four. Yes, I think so as well. Oh, because oh, which you've ones? got... It's hard to describe. <laughs> no, I think you've got to take out six. No, I've got four. One, two... Oh, those ones. Yes, I see it. So if you've got a box in front of you, top, front, top, back, left, bottom, right, bottom. Yeah. So five would do it five spiders. I wonder if you can reduce that by doing some other method. By allowing a spider to patrol um, a length two or something like that. 
Hmm. Okay, well, I think that's a decent exploration of that problem. Cool. So, what listener feedback do we have? So, we had um, two people tell us uh, the answer to the time signature thing. Oh, yeah. Um, so, we had two episodes where we uh, we got somewhere but couldn't find a proof for it. Um, so, Tom Verdun and um, Andre Malroux both uh, came up with the same answer to this one. It's really satisfying when you hear it, and it, it's something that we probably should have got ourselves. Mm. Um, so, this is where we had these patterns where if you were splitting uh, a number up into smaller numbers, so we were yep. splitting it up into, say, twos and threes, because those are the common time signatures. Yeah. Um, we got the a recursive solution, which was it was your answer from two before plus your answer from three before. Yeah. That makes sense because your answers from two before, if you stuck a two in front of each of them, you would get your new answers. And if you got, took your answers from three before and you stuck a three in front of all of them, you'll get the other part of your new answers. Right. All of your answers have to either have a 2 at the beginning or a 3 at the beginning. So you've completely partitioned it. Yeah. But that works in general. So it works with, say, 2s, 3s and 5s, if you're splitting it like that, or whatever. Yeah, no, it's just it's just that easy. Yeah. It's just that easy. It's, um... I still don't have a decent answer as to why there isn't someone that has all three at the same time like i know that makes sense that makes entire what you've said makes entire intuitive sense to me but there's something going on about like oh it should be the number of ways of breaking up into two the number of ways of breaking up into three and the number of ways of breaking up into two and three combined these are ordered lists so when you write out a particular answer it will have either a 2 or a 3 as its first number. Yeah. And it can't have both. So we can split it neatly into which ones have 2 at the beginning, which ones have 3 at the beginning. Yeah, it's just you sort of you sort of rotate it conceptually and turn it into ones yeah. with 2 at the beginning, ones with 3 at the beginning, rather than ones made of 2 and ones made of 3. Yeah. Yeah. And ones made of both. Yeah, it, it reduces the dimensionality substantially. Uh, especially when you start to think about, oh, how do you break it up into, you know, 2, 3, 5, 7, 11, 13, etc. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but there's no such thing as prime numbers for addition. That's just one. There is only one prime in addition world. <laughs> I've never heard it described like that, but I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> what else? We've got various people suggesting problems, of which we did one today. Uh, if you've sent us a problem, we're thinking about it. We're um, on it. Yep. We're on it. Especially there's one based around cryptography. Yep. And I have seen that concept before, and I'm happy to do something on it, so that might crop up. Yep, you're leading that one. Yep. Um, we like getting a bit of a back catalogue, because like what we did today, where Alex was talking about tetrahedrons, and I had a listener problem about tetrahedrons ready to go, it's quite nice to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, and also... I don't really see very many problems, mathematical problems in my day-to-day life. So, a bit of supplementing. 
from the uh, from the, the user base is always appreciated. Yep. We also had uh, a nice long email from Dallas Dickinson, who's uh, written in before, uh, thinking about the Conway's Game of Life zombie outbreak stuff that we were doing. Yep. So with ours, we came up with a. We started to think about uh, doing it in a probabilistic way, which was rather taking it out of the spirit of being pure determinism. Yeah. With Conway's Game of Life. Dallas Dickinson suggests that there are two different timescales going on here. We've got how quickly a zombie would infect someone. Yeah. But then we've also got the ticking over of generations in Conway's Game of Life. Yeah. He suggests that one of those things is quite fast and one of those things is quite slow. Now, when I've been thinking about Conway's Game of Life, I've always been thinking about it in terms of kind of like a bacteria in a Petri dish. Like yeah. moving quite quickly through generations. But I suppose thinking of it as humans living and dying, that happens over a very long time scale. Yeah. Compared with how quickly a zombie outbreak would happen. So he suggests that you have two sets of rules. A set of rule for how the zombies kind of infect people and interact. And then a set of rules for uh, ticking over a Conway's like generation. So it would be like you do lots of ticks of the zombie infection sort of rules and then one tick of the generations clocking over mm. and then repeat right so it's, it's like you're waiting them in different ways yeah I quite like that it means you can still have the comics game of life like interactions although those probably matter less uh, and then you can build zombie rules where it's like individual zombies and people moving around Rather than, like, popping in and out of existence. Right. Which is, is probably better as a model. Yes. And then people have to come together at some point. Yeah. So, I always think of Conway's Game of Life more abstractly. So, the population as a whole is living or dying, just depending on how much activity is going on. Yeah. Whereas this one is individual cells are individual people or individual zombies. And, uh, what happens to individuals is less global right. it's more an actual model of maybe an infection that makes sense and we've got a couple of bits on Twitter um, one of them being a, a suggestion for this um, cryptography type thing which we'll, we'll get to um, another one which was uh, Andre Malru um, giving us a hint as to how to think about the uh, <laughs> mysterious recursion relations uh, we got our first hashtag big old prime uh, which appears to be one, and then a bunch of zeros, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, one, then thirteen zeros, then six, 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 and then what looks to be the same amount of zeros again. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Yes, one, then thirteen zeros, then six, 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 then thirteen zeros, then a one again, which I think is a fantastic prime because it involves six, 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 and thirteen. It, so it's very Halloweeny, yeah. particularly spooky. Too late for Halloween, but that's a that's a very spooky prime. So uh, from this... Ruben Mason, uh, R E U Z E D D on Twitter. This is you asking people to write the biggest prime they knew in an offhand way many episodes ago. Yes, which is indication that people are listening through earlier episodes, which we encourage. Yes, and we encourage interaction <laughs> based on earlier episodes. 
because you notice two days later the same person asking us if there's a Nomic game going on. There isn't a Nomic game going on. There not many, very many people reached out to us, and also I gave bad suggestions. Email us if you want to do a Nomic game, um, and uh, and we'll see what we can do. Right, thank you very much for joining us on this episode of Odds and Evenings. Now is the part of the show where we talk about how satisfied we were with the discussions that we had. So, what was the first thing that we did? Oh, the show notes here, they're all out of order because we did things, uh, we did different things. Oh no. Um, so, the first thing we did was factorials, thinking about the last digits of them. Uh, we did it in lots of different bases, and it was all very satisfying. Yes. We came up with a nice formula, we came up with some intuitive reasons behind it. Ten. I agree. I think that is a ten. That was a thing. You went, look at this thing, why is it that way? And then uh, we managed to go, well, it's that way because this. Yeah. And there are no loose ends. Right, no, I your... mean, I think about it, there are none. Normally there's loose ends, and we have to give it a 9. Yeah. Yeah, but that is a 10. Uh, what was your problem? My problem was something I've been thinking about for a while, which is, how do you know if you can add together like a finite wire mesh element, yep. and then rotate it only, and then make platonic solids and other shapes? Yeah, legs and arms making shapes. Yeah, because it's based on my legs and arms. Uh, making yeah. used to make tetrahedrons with my legs, and then uh, used to make cubes with my arms. Or not, as, as the case may be in the latter. Well, we didn't come up with a global theory, but we did come up with an answer to the one you were thinking about, with the cube. Yes, which is no, you can't do it. Yep. And then with the octahedron, we had that nice one splitting into uh, three fours. Yes. Which is also, yeah, which was great. Hmm. Which is great. And it's interesting that the three that emerged came from the dimensionality hmm. of the octahedron and not yep. from the symmetry. Yep. So there's threes to be had just in places that you wouldn't think. Well, I'm glad that we managed to close the book on the cube one. So that's quite satisfying to me. Uh, we didn't really come up with a general rule for can an element create the thing. Although yep. I think your colouring thing is a pretty good way of thinking about it. Well, when... I didn't go colouring in the end. I went, um, how many ends do we have? So, order of nodes. Yeah, yeah. Which means that you can probably do some pretty good analysis on... Or you can rule things out for yep. a dodecahedron. Yeah, and it gives you some bounds. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm, I'll give that a, a good eight. A good eight, I think. Cool, I'm going seven. Hmm. And then what was the last thing we did? Uh, it was a listener-suggested one. It was the spiders and an ant on the tetrahedron. I enjoyed this. And yeah. i tell you why I enjoyed it, because when I initially read it, I misread it, and I didn't think that it was it was wire. And I thought okay. I was going to have to think about ants going diagonally across faces of shapes, and how can that yeah. possibly be... How can there possibly be a way of doing this? Of course, of course <laughs> you can't. Um, and I thought that, oh god, there's some really clever thing which is does in infinite time as the spiders crawl up or whatever. But no, it was it was wise, which makes it way easier. Reminds me of my days doing Mega Bomberman. Sort of trapping people, kicking yeah. bombs towards them. The video game Mega Bomberman, for those who don't know it. I think the nice moment for me when solving that was realising it isn't that you're trying to 
shrink some area that the ant is in, because that's impossible. But you had to use the fact that the ant was slower than the spiders. Yeah. And so it was a kind of dynamic solution. Yes. Yeah, to find one where it's like, if it were the same speed, it would be impossible. Yeah. You had to find one where it would, would just slowly close in, and there's naught to be done. What I'd like to know is for the different shapes, how many spiders do you need? So we found a solution for a cube with five, four guarding some lines, and then one patrolling. Yeah. I, I'd like to know if that is the minimal answer. Is there another path to be made on a cube? Yeah, or some other way of doing it, where you could use four spiders or four. Oh, just some other way, yeah. And then generalise, because if that is the right method, taking out arcs until you get a cycle, then I think that's not that bad to generalise for other solids. But I'm not sure that if that is the optimum. What do you think? Nine. I really enjoyed it. Hmm. Enjoyable because nine. Yeah, I'm glad we solved it. What else am I glad? Yeah, I think that that's a, it's a good example of a nine. Good example of a nine. One of these days, we're going to rename these numbers into sort of categories of stuff. But I can't be able to do that now, so for now, it's a nine. Yep. Good. Well, thank you for coming along to the entire show. That was it. Ta-da. Pretty good, eh? If you would like to get in contact with us for any of the reasons that we've stated on this show, whether it be make a comment, tell us a really big prime number... Um, make a suggestion as to something we can do, uh, anything, you can reach out to us uh, at oddsandevenings.com. There's a, you can go to a contact button on there, and there's a form you can fill in, and it lands in our inbox. You can also find it at, at oddsandevenings on Twitter. Uh, Alaric is not to be found. But you did mention your website this episode, so let's mm. just plug that again, alaricstephen.com. Yep, A-L-A-R-I-C step hen dot com. And you can find me on Twitter being a general nuisance at at speakmouthwords. The music, intro and outro music, is by David Russell 323 on YouTube. Um, You can find us, we've got a Reddit, we've got a Facebook. Um, Yeah, wherever, we're omnipresent, just search us up. But uh, the email and the Twitter is, is the best way of getting in touch. Anything else I need to plug? Oh yeah, feel free to leave ratings and things on iTunes. Always nice to read them. And uh, yeah, that's it, I think. Is that about right? Yep. Right, that's it. Enough talking. Bye End bye. of show. Bye-bye. I picked up Cat, put her into the front room, shut door. There is a door? Yeah. Okay. Oh, now she's scratching at the door. Oh, that's not workable. <laughs> <laughs> it's normally the other way around. I'm the one with the noise. Right, you. Let me scratch. Let me scratch. <laughs> Let me scratch. Put the box in the front room. Right?
Okay. Did you put I've... the scratching box in the front room? Yes. Okay. I've exchanged the place of the scratching box and the cat. Okay. She's now looking around for it. 